Good morning, everyone. You having a good morning? He is risen. For certain. Boy, for some reason, Christmas and Easter are always hard for Sharon and I to uh, prepare for. The good news is we usually uh, don't take a lot of your time. There should be an amen in there somewhere because I can go back and get the rest of the manuscript if you want. <laughs> Becky's back there and she's motioning that she would like all kids that want to uh, spend a little quality time with Becky for Kids Church. Now's the time to travel. Great. Uh, <laughs> we had a, a great time on the plaza this last Friday night with... Uh, a Good Friday service sponsored by Love Caldwell and, and uh, some of the churches that are affiliated with Love Caldwell. And uh, it was uh, a real good time. It's good to gather with other believers, uh, not behind our walls, but out in public, where, where we can be seen and we can be seen as healthy individuals, people with a heart for the community, uh, people that don't have a gripe, but have a compliment. People that are living uh, fully committed to the purposes of Christ in the city of Caldwell. So uh, I look forward to more events like that. And uh, Marcy and Belva and Kamaya did a, just an extraordinary job with music on the plaza. And you can be very, very proud of them. It was, it was awesome. So want to thank you for, uh, for allowing us to do that, for supporting the work of Love Caldwell and, and the other churches that are participating in that with us. It's, uh, it's a real good thing. I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes this morning. And like I said, I'm, I don't want to talk too long. Easter is an extraordinary something. It's hard to, hard to put it in a category. There's only one event like this. One of the central writers of Christian scripture is a man named John. We're, we're familiar with John. John was one of the three disciples that spent uh, three years of, of his life as one of Jesus' traveling partners. And along with his own brother, James, and a man named Peter, these three, Peter, James, and John, they kind of form this fearsome threesome that would travel with Jesus. And you know, we all have friends. We have scores of friends. We have friends, uh, so many we can't number them. But there's always a handful that we tend to spend the majority of our time with, right? When you have a few minutes, you invite this person for coffee or you invite that family over for dinner or we just, we just form these close-knit communities. And even though Jesus traveled with 12 men, these three became the ones that were closest to him. And among these three, John, James, and Peter, John was Jesus' best friend. John was loyal, always faithful, always steady. And what's interesting about John was John was so steady, in fact, that in the moments that the nails were driven through the wrists and feet of Christ. 
John was the only one of the 12 that had the, the desire and the emotional capacity to stand with Jesus' mother at the cross as they watched her son and his best friend crucified. And on the other side of death, on this day that we celebrate today, he was the first disciple to arrive at an empty tomb. If we had to choose one disciple that we wanted to pattern our life after, most of us would want to be like John. Because John had a closer look at the life of Jesus. And so when we read the the words of John in our New Testament, John's writing has a a different kind of tone. His account of Jesus' life, the book of John, it doesn't read like a history book like some of the others do. It it reads more like a, a memoir or a testimonial to a close personal friend. And of the four gospel accounts of the resurrection, only John's is written by a person who is actually a part of the story. And John's memoir that he writes, the book of John, it's written as he's much older. It's not like uh, creating a news account of something that has just happened. This is written years later after a lifetime of contemplation, lifetime of looking back, a lifetime of perspective. And John has connected dots. And John sees a bigger and clearer picture. Something else has emerged in the story of Christ that sometimes we overlook. And it was a resurrection that started it all. I want to read you John's account from chapter 20. John says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, who is John himself. See, John is kind of a clever writer here. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter... And the other disciple, himself, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran that fat fisherman, Peter, and reached the tomb first. He's, he's got to get that in there, right? He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, got to work that in, you know, also went inside. He saw and believed. And he says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I thought it was interesting this morning. Why didn't he say we? didn't didn't realize but he says they him being part of the they and in this account there's a fascinating seven word description in the opening line that describes this miraculous day early in the morning on the first 
day of the week. John has connected dots. John starts his memoir by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A a description of of Jesus' place in the Trinity. And because John is clever, this even goes back further to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No other writer of this account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, no other writer includes this statement. This hearkening to the, the idea that this is ridiculously new. This has never been seen before. On the first day of the week, John is creative with echoes. And if you were a Jewish person, you would read this and think, ah, in the beginning, something new has happened here. See, John, after a year of years of pondering this and considering this and connecting dots, he sees a new creation story, a new beginning. On the first day of the week, John didn't have to include this kind of a date stamp in his account, but I think he was really excited to, because on the first day of this new week, in a new creation, everything that we used to know is done and over. With the resurrection, the moment Christ walks out of the tomb, no longer dead, on the first day of the new week, a new reality came into being. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. We are a new creation. And Jesus is the pattern. How can we look at this story this way? We look at Easter and the resurrection with, with joy that we cannot measure. Because death The greatest weapon in the arsenal of evil and the biggest threat to humankind's well-being, death has been done away with. Death has met its extinction date. We do not fear death. Sharon asked me last night, She says, what if my health problems are more serious than they're telling me? I think of Marcy's mom. Think of my mom. Think of Sharon's mom, who was lost earlier this year. Jesus took away the last weapon 
of our enemy, Satan and evil. The resurrection, Easter Sunday, was the first day in human history when death was no longer an undefeatable foe, an undefeatable enemy. Death is now simply a stoplight in life. We pause there for a bit, and then it's on to Jesus. And if you and I are one day going to pass through death, just cruise right through, what role should fear play in our lives? Any? The greatest enemy has been dealt with. The thing that we should fear the most has been dealt with. The thing that creates such anxiety in us has been dealt with. Why do I worry? As we were walking in Spain, we would walk into these uh, magnificent cathedrals. And you would see these pictures done by great artists of the medieval times. And they would show you um, their interpretation of hell. And you know, and maybe some of you have read the book, Dante's Inferno. And, and uh, it is such a... It is such a corrupting message that that sends to people that we know and love. Many people believe that God just can't wait for the day when he can lower the boom on them. You probably know people like that. They fear death because they believe at that moment God's desire is to send them to some kind of eternal punishment. But that's not the case at all. John tells us that Jesus himself told them that the thief, evil, comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come in order that you may have life, life in all its fullness. In fact, this book, this book we treasure, it's all about finding our way back to God from cover to cover. And how Jesus and the resurrection make this possible. And no one is turned away. His resurrection is the reason for our hope. It's the reason that we can enjoy now the kind of life that brings fullness and life that death cannot conquer. And Christ has done all this. He has endured the cross and he has come out of the grave in order that God's deepest desire would be realized that we wouldn't be separated from him. We live in a ridiculously fractured world where good news isn't always good news, right? Often what's good news for one person means that somebody else is going to receive bad news. What's good news for the United States may be bad news for another nation. 
But the resurrection is good news for everybody that wants it. For everybody that wants it. And as I was thinking other ridiculous thoughts this morning, I thought, let's throw in a Christmas verse. When Christ was born, the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, not a judge, but an advocate, a savior, who is Christ the Lord. And as I listened to the worship this morning, the Spirit took me back to this verse, and he asked me the question, what happened after this verse? The heavens exploded, right? There was this incredible, joyous outburst when Christ was born. So what do you think happened? What, what must have happened when Christ sat up, rolled the stone, and walked out? We have no idea what worship will be like when we join that chorus. We have no idea. But we know we want it. It's what our heart craves. It's that empty part inside us that says, God, show me more. Show me more. Show me more. I'll leave you with this. This is a, a quote from a theologian. Believing in the resurrection does not just mean assenting to a dogma and noting a historical fact. It means participating in this creative, creative act of God's. Resurrection is not a consoling opium, soothing us with the promise of a better world in the hereafter. It is the energy for a rebirth of this life. The hope doesn't point to another world. It is focused on the redemption of this one. When we come to faith, when we place our faith in Christ, when we live with the hope that death has been defeated, it changes our point of view. We stop longing for that day when Jesus returns and we look forward to every new day when we have the opportunity to engage in the redemption of here and now. Everything that we do for Christ, everything that we do to build his kingdom is a joy. Is a joy. And there's a lot of work to be done in this old city. And you know something, we are just the people to do it. Father God, we thank you for this day. I'm just staggered, I'm flattened by this idea of what the heavens must have done when Jesus sat up. When he 
unwound those linen strips from around himself. When he took that piece of linen from over his face, laid it to the side, and he walked out a free man, freer than we understand. But Father, we crave that. We do. Father, we ask that you would calm our anxieties in the here and now. Focus us on the redemption of this life here and now. God, point us in the direction of others rather than ourselves. On this extraordinary day, God, I would ask that you would speak to each one of us individually. Father, would you, would you comfort us with your love? Would you remind us that you are a loving father, not a vindictive father? And all of this was done. All of this was done. Christ was sent. Christ lived. Christ was a pattern. Christ endured the cross. And Christ left the grave for us. for whoever wants it. Father, in our community, we pray that you would give dozens and even hundreds of people a new thirst for the presence of God in their lives, in their homes. Father, for the hope, the hope that carries us beyond this life that we can see into a life that is yet to be. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your willing sacrifice. Thank you for the pattern that you left us. Thank you for not just exposing your holiness, but also exposing your humanity. We can relate to you. Father, thank you for this, this good day. I pray that you would bless my brothers and sisters here this morning. God. whatever may uh, hold them in, in chains of anxiousness and heartache, pray that they would be released, that your spirit would flood them again with your love and your mercy. And Father, for those that may not know you yet, but find you curious and they have questions, Father, I pray that they continue to pursue the truth because the truth always leads us back to the cross and back to our Jesus. Again, Father, we thank you for this good day. Thanks for 